Hello, Tome Show listeners. This is your Tome editor, Sam Dillon, and I am here to bring you exclusive 2014 Gen Con D&D audio. This is coming to you, just like in previous years, unedited and uncut. We hope you enjoy it, and if you like the show, please visit our Tome Show sponsor, Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again. And if you visit their site, please tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Rudy, I have a big problem. I can't find a place to buy or sell gaming products. You know, I had that problem, too. Then I went to my DM. He told me about NobleKnight.com. Isn't that one of those internet stores? They are, but they're also a brick-and-mortar game store. Since using Noble Knight, I feel great! I can buy D&D and other tabletop RPG products from any edition, even stuff that's out of print. That does sound pretty great. Just pretty great! Get this, Noble Knight has all that, at a discounted price. And with Noble Knight, I can even sell them my old gaming products I'm not using anymore. Oh, wow. I've got to check it out. You don't have to ask your DM if NobleKnight.com is right for you. We're pretty sure it is, since you're listening to a podcast about the minutiae of tabletop RPGs. People who use NobleKnight.com experience joy, having more money in their bank accounts, and lots of awesome gaming sessions. Seriously, why haven't you checked them out yet? Jeff Greiner uses Noble Knight, so should you. Well, my life has changed. It sure is, buddy. Soon, all our lives will be changed. Tiamat is not displeased. Not displeased. (laughs) Not as displeased as usual. Um, So welcome to the When Cobalts Met Tiamat panel, which is the only non-Wizards of the Coast sponsored panel about this book. This charming book, Horde of the Dragon Queen. Um... We are the writers. I'm Wolfgang Bauer, the publisher at Cobalt Press and designer of Horde of the Dragon Queen. And with me... Steve Winter, co-writer of Horde of the Dragon Queen. And longtime editor of Dragon. Longtime gad about the gaming industry. Gad about the gaming industry. That should be on my business card, yes. (laughs) Um, And so we are here mostly to talk about how tremendously lucky Cobalt Press has been. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone who asks me how did this happen, I, I pretty much have to scratch my head and say I'm, I'm not sure, but we've been around a long time, and it may just be as simple as that. Um, you worked at Wizards of the Coast far more recently than I. Surely you know their entire business strategy. How did this, how did this come about? I'd love to know. Um, yeah, when they would stand around in the hallways scratching their heads and wondering who should we assign this to? I would always be walking by and just sort of mm-hmm. lean in and say, Cobalt Press. <laughs> it worked. Um, Your subliminal campaign yes. worked. Yes. No, I honestly don't know. Uh, I was not part of that decision-making. Yeah. But it was clearly a wise decision. <laughs> so for those of you who read the, uh, the panel summary saying, how did this happen? Uh, we're bringing your disappointment right up front because we don't know either. Um, what I can tell you is uh, one day Mike Merle sent me an email saying, Hey, Wolf, would you like to meet for lunch about a project? And I thought to myself, Wow, it's been a long time since I wrote for Wizards of the Coast. What was the last thing I wrote for them? Oh, Expedition to the Demon Web Pits. That was a while back. I guess. All right, sure. Some sort of mega adventure. I'm in. Um, that was what I was thinking. Was, okay. Um, what I didn't realize was I hadn't done the head count at Wizards of the Coast, and I have a theory that I'm going to share with you now. <laughs> uh, this is my theory. Um, I did the head count of how many full-time RPG staffers there are at Wizards these days, 
And it's a lot less than when I worked at Wizards. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a smaller department. Most people there are working at uh, the Magic Group, or they're working in online products, or they're working on board games or something. Um, and, And funny thing, launching a whole new rule system is a crushing amount of work. Uh, and if you have less people to do it, you might at some point say to yourself, wouldn't it be nice if we could farm out these adventures? Aren't there people like freelancers and design studios and others out there? Um, and confidentiality being a factor, they said, what about going to people who've actually worked at Wizards and who have proven track records with Dungeon Magazine or adventure writing? Uh, and so that's my theory. Mike Merles has neither confirmed nor denied this. Uh, we had a nice lunch. He said, would you like to do this project for us? And, you know, where, where can I sign now? <laughs> Is that the check? I'll sign that. Um, I, was, I was on board from the first moment. Uh, Steve had fortunately a gap in his schedule at that point. <laughs> and, and I said... And having been at Wizards, I knew... <laughs> you knew exactly what was going even on. Even though it was all top secret at the time, I knew about it because I... You were, like, so. perfectly placed for this. So from your perspective, I think you got a desperate phone call from me, was how that went, right? Or an email saying, Steve, are you at all available? Because I don't... I've been playtesting 5th edition, but you have been living it in the halls of Watson. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, so that's a little bit of the backstory. Uh I'd love to talk more about like the business side, but that was just what we promised in the trailer and the program book. We're happy to talk about the design and other bits um, and, and how we feel the adventure has gone and your first play experiences and everything else. But let me just get a read from the room. How many of you already have read the book? The whole thing. All right, part of it. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> so how many of you are worried about spoilers at this seminar? Good. All right. Avert your ears. Um, (laughs) uh, We're going to be spoilerific, I I suspect. Yeah. It's tough to talk about the adventure without talking about what happens in the adventure. Right. Um, Okay. How many of you that, most of you are game masters, is my assumption. How many of you bought the autographed edition of Horde of the Dragon Queen at the Cobalt booth? There need to be more hands or online from the Cobalt store. Okay, that's enough. That's good. We needed at least three hands or the seminar was over. (laughs) Um, Now, seriously, we did the the special autographed edition just because it seemed like fun. And How often do we get to to launch one like this? Uh, All right, well, let's start at the start of the design phase. Do we want to talk about the first monster manual we saw, maybe, or the... What do you want to lead off with design-wise? Um, I don't know. The, uh, well, we, have, well, we, <laughs> we have suggestions from the audience. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested in, in, in knowing how much input from Wizards of the Coast you oh, had sure. in, in the adventure and how much you sort of put forward in, in the whole Tyranny of Dragon storyline that they're pushing. Yes. Uh, excellent question. Mm-hmm. Um... Well, we got some input, I would say, because <laughs> we wrote all the text, but it was based on materials we got from wizards, right? And this is often the case. Actually, I can go back to that third edition expedition to the Demon Web Pits uh, mega module I wrote, where I got sort of an outline, and you need to include these characters, and here's your locations, um, and you know, go to town within these parameters. And this was very similar, right? We got a, a foundational document. Um, 
in the movie biz, it's often, or a software, it's called a story bible, so it's very similar to that. Uh, there were some illustrations and some character names of, like, here's key figures. Um, but there was no adventure plot, right? It didn't right. say... It, it, they said things like, it needs to be on the Sword Coast. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> the, the story bible, I mean, it was, it was long. There was a lot of reference art. Beautiful um, reference art. Yes, very inspiring be- yeah, stuff. Beautiful reference art. Um, but... It was a little bit... I mean, I could certainly see why they did the story Bible the way they did, right? And and for the document it was, it was very good. But it was telling the story of Tyranny of Dragons almost entirely from the bad guy's yes. point of view. Because, the, the I mean, the villains really kind of drive this story, right? And a, a huge part of their plot is secret. They don't want people to know what they're doing until it's too late for anyone to do anything about it. Um, so... Taking that kind of information, I mean, uh, very helpful information. Very helpful, and yet it's nice to frustrating have frustrating at the same time. Yeah. In that you're looking at it and thinking, "Oh, this thing the bad guys are doing is so cool," but we can't use it <laughs> because it has to be secret. Oh, wait, they're doing this other really cool. Uh, they have to keep that secret. <laughs> you know, um, so having to flip that around then and tell that same story from the point of view of characters who are trying to. You know, sort of fight their way into this secret thing that's going on was a, a whole different uh, problem that the story bible did not provide any answers to. No, and, and that's kind of why they came to us, right? They said, "You give us an outline. Tell us how you would take this villainous plot and flip it, right? So that there are heroes opposing it, and they have a chance of success." Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we had to go around a couple times on um, like the outline stage. Yes getting to a point where they felt it was in tune with where they were headed, and they knew a lot of things that we didn't know, right? This foundational story Bible was not a complete document. <laughs> and we, I mean, I didn't know, are they doing a computer game? Are they doing a board game? Are they doing, what else is being done other than a tabletop role-playing game under the Tyranny of Dragons banner? I have no idea. Um, back in December, ages ago. Right. Um, but we very much got to put our imprint on it and say, which town do we want to burn to the ground first? <laughs> um, we had our pick. And we chose Greenest mm-hmm. because there wasn't very much information about it, and it seemed fairly disposable at a low level. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, it's on the map. Do we have any canonical material about it? Hmm. Not really, yeah, says Not Wizard. too much. Not much. A little. Uh, does anybody mind if it's wiped from the map? Probably not terribly. So, I mean, it starts off with a bang, right? It's like, well, the cult is announcing its presence, and by the way, you're in the thick of it. Uh, And Steve wrote the opening sequences um, in a way that I love, because it's very much, hey, adventurers, you're in trouble. (laughs) Um, And, you know, the cult makes a really big, bold play at the start and says, we're taking territory. We're not going to skulk in the shadows. Fear us. Um... I think that's a great start for an adventure arc or campaign, uh, is to terrify the players immediately, mm-hmm. especially when the rule set is somewhat less forgiving of um, foolishness, right, and uh, and too much bravado by low-level characters. Mm-hmm. Right. So put a scare into them uh, was kind of the start. I don't know, was that 
purely your thinking, or were you like, I want a big painting of a dragon around chapter one? Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little of both. But it was also, I mean, that first episode is can be pretty challenging for first level characters, but I also approached it with a, a certain amount of kind of old school feeling of yeah. they're only first level characters, right? If and, and this is the first time you sit down you know, to to get into this. If a few of them die, it's no big deal. <laughs> Just roll up some more and keep going. You know? All right, we you, yes. you learn from yes, you learn from your mistakes and you start over again. And it's better to learn when the cost of your mistake is. That's right. That's right. It's, it's better to learn when you've only got a few hours invested in that character than later on. Uh, so I mean, that's that's the way it kicks off. Um, then we've entered a design phase where there were things in the outline we wanted to do, like traveling up and down the Sword Coast. Mm-hmm. And there was a stage in the outline process where I said, gosh, there's a lot of traveling up and down the Sword Coast. <laughs> um, yeah, that's... I read an, an account of big game hunting years ago about elephants, and the summation of the author was that the, the chief characteristic of elephants that the big game hunter needs to know is that they are big. <laughs> and it's sort of the same thing about the Forgotten Realms. If you know nothing else about Faerun, you need to understand that it's big. So getting from one place, place to, to another, another when you're low level is a time-consuming process. Right. And that's where the design got a little time-consuming too, because one of the questions we had early on is, it's a new edition, what changes are there to the realms, right? Mm-hmm. Give us a list of your big changes. And they weren't exactly taken aback by the question, but they said, well, we don't have a list like that, right? That's all in people's heads. Um, and that makes sense because most of the time they're working on projects like, say, 5th edition uh, entirely in-house. So it was a little weird for them to have these outsiders showing up saying, uh, you know, hello. We would like everything you have about the rank. Give us the complete delta between 4th edition and 5th edition realms in a neat document with bullet points. That would help us. And, I mean, I, I didn't exactly hear the head scratching through the phone, but it was a little bit along those lines of, no, you guys do it, and we'll tell you when it's wrong. <laughs> well, I, I'm exaggerating, but, you know, yes. we did... We did a thing with the trade roads, right? Mm-hmm. Or you did a thing with the trade roads. And at one point, we started showing maps, saying, all right, they go from point A to point B, and got some feedback because we kept sharing documents. And I was, oh, yeah, you can't get from point A to point B anymore. Yeah, that, that road's not there anymore. Trying to get a good information to have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been good to have a while ago, but it isn't necessarily the sort of information that's at the top of your head you know, when you're assigning an adventure project is, oh, let's let's give them the complete road network. Right. Um, but, yeah, that led to... You know, it was easy enough in a lot of those cases to go back and take some fixes. It was, felt like a process of discovery, right? Because yeah. the rules we were fairly familiar with from the playtest, we've been in on all the early playtests, um, but the setting... Well, there was no setting playtest, right? <coughs> so we didn't have those. Um, that was an obstacle, but it wasn't insurmountable, and it just the occasional bump. Right. A bigger, in terms of bumps, the bigger one was because uh, the monster manual was still uh, undergoing heavy development at this time, and and uh, obviously we got a, an early draft of the monster manual, which was 
you know, wonderful to have, um, except that then we would, we would, like in that first episode, I picked out foes who would be there in the town for people to fight um, and built encounters around them. Um, and I don't know if you, if you read the, some of the blog posts on this, you already know this story, but so we built encounters around these creatures, and then things were sent out for playtest, and between the time that we wrote those encounters and things went out for playtest, one of those very crucial monsters, even though it kept the same name, it changed from being a first or second level monster to a sixth level monster. <laughs> and suddenly, there, you know, all the feedback we're getting from playtesters is, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> you're asking first level characters to fight you know, to fight these sixth-level foes repeatedly. You know, just, it, what kind not, of sadistic monsters <coughs> are you? It's it's not just one TPK. We're having you know a you know series of TPKs through the. You know, they're just rolling up characters and then they die. So and it was just purely a, a sort of a clerical error that happened that no one caught. Right. I mean, the monster manual we worked from early, the first thing we got was purely just a list of names, right? These creatures will be in the book. And we asked for stats, and they said, well, they're still under such heavy development that we could give them to you, but it won't help, right? Right. That they'll be different by the time we go to press with the monster manual. So just, here's the names, and you've been working in the industry, whatever, 20, 30 years, you kind of know what level of bugbear is, right? Well, that's true, but... (laughs) But there are still wiggles yeah. um, and adjustments up and down. So um, so I think they got tired of us asking for revisions. Like, what's the latest Monster Manual? What's the latest Monster Manual? I sent that email probably 12 times and got, you know, eight different versions <laughs> over over the months. Yeah. Um, and we adapted. <coughs> um, the nice thing about it is the plan from early on was to have a lot of the monster stats in a secondary free online download, right? Which I still am not sure if that is like purely a diabolical marketing scheme of pure cleverness, right? It's like, well, here's all the monsters and and spells from this book that you could have, <laughs> and the monsters and spells are free, and just download it and take a look, right? It's like free sample. Well, yeah, and there's an adventure that goes with that that you could buy. <laughs> Hint, <laughs> right? And and on the other hand. It made our lives a lot easier because every time we talked, like, well, what are the final monster stats on this? It's like, mm-hmm. well, we're going to deliver the final... The wizard said we will have final monster stats in time to go to press. And if you guys are way off, we'll tell you. So I felt pretty comfortable that, all right, the people writing the monster manual are going <laughs> to look at the monsters. And we have to design encounters that are interesting and appropriate um, with some wiggle room. That was the hardest part, right? Yes. I would caution that if you're all DMs and you may wind up running this adventure, that um, you might want to... Well, she can hear this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, this isn't really a spoiler, but it's if, if in some pl- at some point in the adventure it calls for you know, eight, uh, eight cultists... 
you know, when I wrote that, I might have been looking at a different stat block for cultists than what they are now. So as the DM, you might need to look at that and, and just adjust in your head to, oh, I, that's going to have to be ten cultists, or, no, you know, that should really only be five cultists. Um, but we actually did all the number crunching at the very end, right? Like, after the editorial phase, even, we went back and adjusted numbers of some monsters in response to all that playtest feedback, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the nice thing about the story of we got a total TPK six times in a row was, <laughs> oh, oh, you helped us catch this error, right? That we were not aligned. And it went that way throughout. So, it's heavily playtest. We talk about how wiggly it was because it felt that way at the start. But by the end, I think it gelled. Uh, it gelled up very nicely in just a minute of time. Yes. And certainly by the time we were doing Rise of Tiamat, it was, we had a much better... The control. second book was much easier from that perspective because we had thing, we had more stakes in the ground Although and better sense. It was higher level, so that makes it tricky. It had its own challenges. Yeah. Uh, did yes, that, Matt? Did that lead to more non-combat encounters? Did you put in more traps and more NPCs because the monsters were so well? That's a good question. It, it is a good question, I, and I would say... I guess my, my answer would be no, not really. Um, I, I can't speak for yeah. Wolf on this. From my own perspective, I put in more encounters like that because I like encounters like that. Um, and I think we've had uh, we've had a, a long stretch where D and D support material, D and D adventures, were very focused on the combat encounters. Um, but what we were really trying to get across here was a story. Yeah, right? it's not. Um, it's Very not much just. Story first. Right? I mean, I, I. My term for those is, is battlefield tourism. Right, where you're just touring <laughs> one battle to the next, and that's not what we wanted to do here. We wanted to really give people much more of a, make them feel like they're in the midst of an epic event uh, that involves a lot more than just fighting bad guys. You know, you've got to outsmart them. You've, you've got to. Trick them, work with their yeah. enemies. Sometimes you have to work with them <laughs> in order to work against them. So. Yeah, I mean the nature. Of the, well, take a question in the back, and then I'll talk about the cult of the dragon. <laughs> well, my question is: uh, I, Sorry if I haven't read the whole uh, the whole adventure. No, it just came out. It's quite all right. <laughs> I was just curious if anybody had. I do read the first chapter though, and and I'm starting my campaign all next Saturday. So Excellent. I'm trying to get things ready. So I think it's very easy to just find why Never Winter is probably not going to be involved in all those first things because they have a lot of things to do with right now. Right. What about Baldur's Gate? Sure. I don't know if you cover this. And if you not, do you have any suggestions to how can I justify that you know the planning fest are not really being involved in any of those things down below? Sure. Um, well, the thing, groups like the Flaming Fist do become more involved in the second in book, book, in The Rise of Tiamat, where at, at this stage of things, uh, uh, the bulk of the people on the Sword Coast are completely unaware of what's going on, other than that they know that raids are happening and towns are being sacked. Um, but it's, you know, they're very isolated. Right. Later on, when people are seeing dragons everywhere, <laughs> it becomes much more widespread. And then groups like the Flaming Fist do begin to get involved. Um, this book does take. There's a little bit of a of a detour, not a, not a detour, but the, the long road trip has a through Baldur's Gate leg. Um, but it's it's sort of it's very minimal in the book. 
Um, but that's another thing about this adventure is that we are assuming that as a DM, you can flesh this out as much as you want. Uh, and there are a lot of opportunities to add in additional side treks. It was nice to sort of drop some of those hooks for, yeah, you could develop this further, you could run with this here. For people who already know the realms backwards and forwards, some of this will be, oh, well, I not only know that, I have, you know, the supplement that covers water deep in depth, and I have this Mm -hmm. society, and I know so much about the Harpers, and I... uh, You can bring an extra richness if you have that background, but it's not required, and it's an adventure book. It's not meant to be a FR source book, primarily. It was a for a particular thing. It was one of the encounters on the road that I was curious whether I didn't recall whether it actually survived into the book because some of the people at, at Wizards didn't like it. Um, and that, was, that was an interesting part of the process was just the quibbling back and forth between stuff we liked and stuff they liked because yeah. clearly there is a house style for Wizards and there is a house style for Cobalt Press and there's a lot of overlap. We both love high fantasy role playing, but there are places where we disagreed. And yes. you know, they're no, big. It, it was one that didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they mostly won those arguments. I'll be frank, but <laughs> well, there was one that there's an. It's one of the encounters on the road, and I, I don't need to go into which one, um, but because it would be a spoiler <laughs> for, for the player in a big way, um, but. The feedback from Wizards was, oh, we really don't like this one. The, the, you know, don't want this one in there. And the very next day, we got that, that feedback. And the very ne- and, and for the most part, and I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm slamming on Wizards, because we got excellent feedback from yes. people at Wizards. Yes, and we it, did. Was, it was always welcome and very useful. Um, but in this one particular case, they didn't like this encounter. And the very next day, we got the, the feedback from the playtesters and... Pretty much every playtester report singled out that one encounter and said, "We loved this. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best." Yeah. So, so it is still there. In the yes, that. I mean, there were cases where we got to leverage playtest results in our favor and just say it works in play, um, and that was the end of that discussion, right? Because so, th- if any of you were playtesters, thank you. <laughs> Question here. Yeah, a uh, specific question about the uh, first episode. Sure. Um, if, if I remember correctly, basically, if the characters are to take a short rest, or especially a long rest, but even a short rest, they miss at least something in that episode, right? Yes. And uh, so, just a question with the design intent, because <laughs> I ran that first episode, and basically, what's more or less halfway through, they're like, we're completely depleted, why won't you? I'm like, you can rest, but stuff's going to be going on while you're resting. And so, was the intent that uh, they either would not get through all that, uh, they would have to short rest, or they need, would need to get through some of it through more social means, and to, to you know, circumvent using all of their resources and to experience everything, or? Well, I guess... Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, the, the intent was, partly it was to give the DM options. 
right? So that as the DM, you don't need to run all of those events. Because it's very possible that some of what we thought was cool, the DM would look at and say, oh, that, that one's kind of yeah. stupid. I don't like that. Drop the one you right, don't like. Right. So we'll just drop that one out, or we'll drop this one out and that one out, or I'll plug in this other one of my own because I really think this is cool. Um, so part of it was to present the DM with multiple options and, and let you craft that first night in of the siege of the town however you want. Um, yes, it was very definitely, I mean, it was clear, even as we were writing it, that it, your, your basic group of first-level characters is not going to be able, they're not superheroes. They, you, they can't go out and do everything. Um, and so I absolutely did want players to get the idea that there are other resources here at your disposal, right? There's the, the, the captain of the town, and there's the castellan of the fort, and there are other mercenaries and NPCs around who can join in, right? Um, if the DM wants to send them out on one of those missions with half a dozen men-at-arms, right, to absorb damage and do some of the fighting for them, that's great. Um, so, but... Because but it's definitely a dilemma, right? There's yeah, just simply right. no way to do it all. Right. It's 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 not a. There is no clear cut. This is the road to victory in that scenario. You're you're gonna get your ass kicked one way or another. <laughs> That's what's going on here. The cult has come in very strong, and they are going to demolish this town and take everything from it. And the 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 challenge for the players is not to defeat that; it's to survive that. So, which is an unusual kind of encounter, right? I mean, in some of the the Cobalt Guide books, we talk about adventure design and the problem of retreat, right? Players hate retreating, and they hate the sense of failure. But to set up a foe as really worthy and difficult, and the way it's designed and written with other resources and a whole town, it's not a full-fledged retreat. It's sort of holding the line, right? And most players will grudgingly accept that all right, maybe they can't kill, you know, the dragon at first level. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you, I guess it, you know, the thing to impress upon players in that first episode is you you can't win a bit a big victory, but you can win a whole lot of small, small victories, victories, yes. Right? There are there are people whose lives are in danger who you can save. Right? You can you can go, you know, if you prevent that mill from burning, Right, you know that the town's supply of, of flour is in that mill, and if that goes, it's like there's going to be a lot of hunger in Greenest. Um, you know, so you can win a lot of small victories, and that's what they have to keep their eye on in that episode. Yeah. All right, we got a whole bunch of questions, but I got a question for you first. Uh, I am always happy to spread the news that Cobalt Press is doing stuff like this seminar and future products, and we have a mailing list. And I am going to kindly ask that you join it if you are so inclined, but purely optional. Just circulate that, have it come back around at the end. Now we had like four (laughs) questions. Uh, I think you've been waiting a while. Speaking on a more conceptual level, what kind of ideas have you developed in the plot? Uh-huh. Because some information that we got is that, for instance, Tiamat was uh, trapped in the night hell. Some, and some people began to wonder when this happened, if it was your idea, if it was something that probably was written in the Bible that you get. And right. how, how it was this work, considering that at least for, uh, as far as we know, 
you have more uh, liberty, more freedom to develop the plots. At least, uh, in, it's, it's what we saw, I personally saw, because of the stuff that they're doing, and compare, in comparison with the other previous works, how, how was for you to work with the plot? Well, there was a lot more emphasis on story in the Bible document we got, as Steve was saying earlier. It's clearly meant to be a large story-driven sequence. Um, and so certain plot points were, you know, here's where we're headed, right? Your finale is right over here. Um, but in specific with uh, the, the Nine Hells and Avernus, you know, when it came down to questions of canon, um, we know our realms, but we don't know the realms the way, say, Matt Cernet does at Wizards, because that's his whole job, is to know the <laughs> canon. Um, and so, I mean, we were corrected on points of realms lore repeatedly, yeah. about, hey, this is true, or, well, actually, you know, we need to tweak this slightly, or, I like what you're doing here, but you forgot about this other important element. So there was some, like, I don't know what sort of encyclopedia Matt has at his disposal, whether that's all in his brain or he has one giant mega document. He, he has like everything that's ever been published about the Forgotten Realms in PDFs on his computer, and he runs these extensive searches, and it will you know spit out every time a name has been mentioned through you know thirty years of Realms history. Right, and then he can sift through all the contradictory <laughs> references, and, and he can say this is the way we're resolving. Yeah, yeah. So like on the your your the question about Tiamat being imprisoned in particular, uh, that came directly from Wizards. We had no input on that. I know there were numerous occasions when I made references in the adventure to the conditions of her imprisonment and who had put her there and you know uh, how she was held there and things and based on you know just the very fragmentary information in the Bible in the story Bible um, and in almost every case those came back with corrections from Wizards saying no no you, you know it's not quite like that it's like this but and that all has to do with the new cosmology that they've developed yes. for the fifth edition, so. which is a whole another topic, but um, but very much one where we had to be guided by internal yeah. uh, internal resources yeah. and the people who are closest to the plot. Right. Um, it, it, interesting, very little in this book, but more in the Rise of Tiamat. That we we were able to play around a little bit with that whole. You know, Tiamat's imprisoned on Invernus, and and as soon as you start talking about devils, things get interesting <laughs> because it's like, all right, she's she's here on Avernus. Now, how do the how do the creatures on Avernus feel about that? Right? Can we Some kick them, her out? Yeah, she's a bad neighbor. They probably they probably just as soon get rid of her. Right? And, and devils on other levels, you know, they might be looking at and thinking, oh, you know, as long as Tiamat is being a pain, you know, <laughs> to Avernus. Let's you know. Let's work to keep her there. <laughs> so, there, there are. There's the potential in the second book for uh, some alliances that might make the player characters uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, a lot of that is a game master discretion and how far you go into that sort of level of lore. Often, it doesn't impinge on the player consciousness at all. It's more for your own satisfaction as a dungeon master that you know the backstory. 
but at least in my play experience, most of the time, the the only character who has a chance of like really being into the conditions of imprisonment and the history, it's like the bard. The bard will care. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, good question. Uh, we had a couple more over here. I've been curious. You've mentioned similarities and differences with play styles and designing between uh, your work with the post. I'm wondering if you could go into that or um, elaborate on like designing for different audiences. You say, you know, this player might really like this kind of encounter. Another one might like something else. How you sure. decide between the two and what's um, what's easier or more difficult for you to, to address all of this? Sure. I mean, Steve and I have written a lot of adventures and edited adventures for Dungeon Magazine and Cobalt Press, and we've seen the spectrum of what's possible and the most common play styles and what gets a reaction uh, when published, you know, as a big thumbs up and what sort of things people say, I don't care. So, so some of this is just drawing on long, long experience. Some of it is pure personal bias, right? Like, <laughs> I like trap encounters. I like this sort of encounter. Um, and as far as like how that meshes with a, a wizard's design philosophy or design style, I think we very much sort of drawn back toward older playstyles that preference some exploration. Um, sequences and some heavy role-playing and diplomacy sequences, um, and some smart combat or smart avoiding of combat, which used to be a common tactic. Like if you go back to read, I don't know, Gary Gygax or Dave Arneson or anybody's advice about how are we going to survive Castle Greyhawk, it's well, don't fight everything. That's dumb, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, and, and so that sort of philosophy, which you also see in groups like the old school Renaissance, um, and and people who are fans of you know various branches of the larger fantasy tree, uh, was something that I think not just us but wizards seemed entirely okay with. Yeah, actually, the, I wanted to mention that because frequently in the feedback uh, files that we received from wizards, there would be. Um, not necessarily statements of we don't like this or we want this changed, but just questions, right? And very often those questions were the what if type of question. Yes. It's like what if characters enter this area before you're presenting it here? Or what what if they enter while the cult is still here in force and before they've moved on to somewhere else? And our answer in most of those cases was... That's a situation for the DM to deal with. That's why we have a. That's why there's a living brain behind the DM screen is to answer that question. We don't need to answer every what if situation. And you know, I would say to their credit, for the most part, wizards accepted that answer. So, which is a, you know, quite a quite a change from the way a lot of adventure material has been done for the last few years. It has been. I think there has been a maybe it's just the pendulum swinging back from right really heavy on the hand holding, a lot of page count devoted to what if, what if, what if, and and maybe I mean the cobalt style has generally been trust the game masters to make it interesting, right? Give them the tools, give them the sandbox, make a stack up the powder kegs, um, you know, make everything about the scenario interesting so that no matter what the players do, something's going to blow up in their face and it'll be fun. Um, 
Uh, that sounds a little harsher than it really is. <laughs> but you can tell which side of the Game Master screen I'm usually on. Um, I mean, players are inventive and smart. We take that for granted. I think what Horde of the Dragon Queen says is Game Masters are inventive and smart, and being able to improvise and make it your own is totally acceptable, uh, and we can design with that in mind. Uh, actually, this guy's been waiting a while. We already got you once. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you talked about um, developing the world and, and that you get some feedback back and most of the story. But you also kind of have to know that you're, the, you're also the flagship oh, yeah. product. So I want to ask specifically about all the questions people want to know is, what's the, what do the realms look like? Yes. This is their first look. And then this is kind of story kind of designed, but... Dragons are really, really scary. <laughs> yes, they are. So, so when when I'm picking this up as a realms adventure, it's tyranny of dragons. Those are the first thing I looked through. Like, What's realms like? What are dragons like? What are, you know? Yep. Can you talk a little bit about the design and development of of those aspects? Uh, sure. You want to talk about setting, or you want to talk about dragons? Let's flip forward. Um, sure. Well, I'll, I wrote the big road. Encounter. Okay, you want to talk sections? Well, I'll talk about the. the yeah, I wrote the dragon encounter at the yeah. end. So. <laughs> um, that seems fair. One of the because we you know we felt like the, this may well be a lot of people's introduction to Forgotten Realms, and certainly it's their everyone's introduction to Fifth Edition Forgotten Realms. Um, and we had the problem of we start down here in the south and we need to end up here in the north. Um, so you know, it, it sort of naturally lent itself to a long road episode. Uh, so episode four in the book is a like a I don't know, 400, 500 mile road journey, um, and it's it's basically just a string of road encounters. And what we wanted to show was some of the you know just the characteristics of of the realms, what you can expect from the realms. Um, and so there's a lot of danger. We, you know, we start out by presenting a bunch of NPCs. These are the people you're traveling with, um, and here's a lot of the, the bad stuff you're going to run into along the way. Um, oddly, some of the feedback we got from Wizards on that was uh, was like, "Wow, like, uh, nothing but bad things happens to them on the road." <laughs> the people are going to think that the Forgotten Realms is, is really. You know, why is anybody going to want to save this place when <laughs> so many bad things happened? And, and on our response was, well, you know, that's sort of why people are playing the game, right? I mean, the, the crisis points occur when bad things happen, and the good people that they're supposed to care about are their fellow travelers in the caravan. Um, so, uh, but like I say, we try to we try to get some of that sense of wonder of the Forgotten Realms and the sense that this is a really big living place, right? And not just encounters with bandits and things like that, but some actual, you know, like there's a, there's a, again, I, cover your ears. <laughs> there's a, there's an encounter, if the, assuming the DM uses it, with a, a this magnificent golden stag, right, that like crosses the road and leads people off into the wilderness and and there are multiple ways that it can play out, right? We we give different, you know, that you can you can use this stag to deliver whatever sort of ending that you want to this encounter. Um, 
But so that kind of you know mythic, we were trying to bring in some of that mythic wonder that the realms really does well. Um, and as long as I'm on the subject, the the, the encounter that got cut. <laughs> oh, you just can't let it go. <laughs> Let's hear it. It was one of my favorites, and unfortunately, it didn't make it. But um, it was you know the caravan comes over a little rise in the hill, and here's like the the road is completely blocked by 200 people, you know, and they're all. They're all worshippers of Leviathan. Okay, so they're like they're all stripped to the waist and they're and they're flogging themselves with thorns and, and just slowly trudging up the road. And and it's clear that you know if the caravan gets stuck behind this this mass of, of zealots, that they're gonna lose days of travel time, right? Because these people are barely moving. And so the, the NPCs all come to the characters and say, you know, you're the guards, go deal with this. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they're, you know, they're worshippers of Leviathar, so if you go down there and threaten to attack them, right, they're like, oh, this is our chance to suffer for our goddess. You know, what could be better? But no, bring it on. And, uh, and then you wind up massacring 200 defenseless people, and then a word gets out about that. Um, so that's clearly a poor option. Um, and, and, and the other option is you can try to identify the leaders of the group and go talk to them and try to persuade them, you know, maybe to move off the road. Well, then they just try to persuade you to join them. Um, but, you know, if you're clever enough, you can, you can figure out that basically the guys in charge of this are, like, you know, they're they're really in it. They're not really into Leviathan. They're into having followers, and, and you know, basically, if you offer them two hundred gold, they will quietly accept it and then lead their followers off into a big thorn patch <laughs> where they can all roll around and you know, suffer more cuts and abrasions for Leviathan and as the caravan goes past. Um, and so there's, you know, ideally there's no... I'm selling that for my home game. That's yeah, there's no combat involved in this situation at all. Anyone who gets into a combat situation here is in, is in a lot of trouble. Um, and you know it's a it's a situation, but it's very you. much set in the realms, right. right? It's very much full of yeah, and it's you know tailored for who you know the the mouthpieces of the party who you know don't get the spotlight all that often to go in and and try and psychoanalyze you know, some very twisted people and figure out how can we motivate them to clear the road for us. Um, and uh, I'm sure the folks at Wizards explained to me their reasons for not liking that uh, encounter. Um, I blocked them. Yeah, we, I think that was the main thing. <laughs> this doesn't present quite the light we want to present. Them. So, uh, we had, we went around about that a little bit too on the the five. Is everyone familiar with the five factions? Right, right. Which are which are a, a big part of the adventure and and a big part of fifth edition. Um, there's an NPC from the Zentarum in the road encounter, the road episode as well, who was presented initially as, and I won't identify who it is, <laughs> our player over here, um, but who was identified initially in the in the book as as basically a. You know, just a, a homicidal maniac, right? Now, when you meet this person, uh, you don't get that impression, right? This character hides that Oh, they're psychosis. always the quiet ones. Right, hides that psychosis very well. But, you know, it's the Zentarum, right? And uh, murder is simply a means to an end, right? 
Um, human beings are just obstacles, and if one of them gets in your way, then you, you know a knife in the kidneys, and you move on. And uh, um, that was. Uh, you know, the feedback on that was, ah, you know, the player characters are, you know, going to be joining this this outfit. I'm not sure we want to present it that way. At which point, you know, we went and quoted from the story Bible <laughs> about how everyone in the Zentarum are homicidal maniacs. Um, and so there was some realigning of the factions after that. There were a number of times we had to quote the story Bible back. Yeah. But the story Bible also changed, and, you know, that's... It's not necessarily that they did it wrong, but Wizards' goals were changing throughout the process as well. As they should. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, and part of that involved redefining a lot of information about the factions, um, unfortunately, after we had written extensively <laughs> about uh, the factions, so that necessitated some going back and re- revising on our part as well. But anyway, that to get back to the original point of this is, uh, yeah, we very much wanted to convey a sense of the Forgotten Realms and what it's, you know, why people should care about saving the Forgotten Realms. And we also wanted to be able to show off some big, big dragons at a reasonably low level. And we did. I mean, there's some right at the start, there's dragony bits in the middle, and there's a dragon at the end. I'm sorry, giant spoiler. <laughs> expect that. Uh, but the dragon encounter I wrote, and there's a lot going on around it, is, is sort of in a different space than the Cult of the Dragon uh, allied dragons usually are. I mean, the long history of the Cult of the Dragon is, let's make more Dracoliches. Right? That's the old school Cult of the Dragon is... The best dragons are undead dragons. We love them. Um, the new cult of the dragon said, you know, that hasn't worked out the last 16 times we tried it. <laughs> what if we got Tiamat and some living dragons? And we tried a new approach, right? It's like they got some business analyst from Accenture <laughs> to manage their processes. I mean, how can we more efficiently yeah. use our yeah. strategic okay. synergy? The PR guys. Yeah, they need to, we need to change your image. Yeah. <laughs> you be more you guys are really insane because you keep trying it. Let's try something different. Let's try something different. You might get new followers. Uh, and so one of the things they do is they work with living dragons. And that seems to work out for them because they're looting whole towns and villages. Um... And toward the end, there, there was an opportunity to say, yeah, okay, I think the players are almost ready at the end of book one to maybe tackle a dragon and possibly defeat one. It's not required, but come on, what are the players going to do when presented with this opportunity at this level? They're going to try for it. And I had to figure out a way to make this uh, as spooky and interesting a dragon's lair as possible. And what I actually drew on was my experience many years ago as a young kid up in the Canadian Rockies we visited a glacier uh, one of those snow cats with treads and I drove around this glacier with my parents and my kid sister and they showed us the glacier melting and here's the snow and here's the moraine and it's like okay glacier geology that's great what's that big blue hole in the ice was my question oh yeah, these are sort of ice wells, and they had some technical term for them. What they said is, well, the water melts on the top of the glacier, and it digs a hole because it's warm, and it's like a it's a sinkhole through a glacier. And somehow that stuck with me. It was a bright blue color. The water goes down. There's no grate on it out in the wilderness, right? And they're like, well, if you fall in, we probably can't rescue you before you'll drown. 
That's fascinating when you're a boy of ten, right? Yeah. Really? How close can I get before anyone notices? <laughs> that was awesome. And it stuck with me. And so the idea of tunnels through the ice was something that I wanted to play with. And I wanted it to be sort of... Um, how do I put it? People outside their usual element, right? Usually you're wandering around the Sword Coast, you're on a road, you're in a castle, you're in a dungeon, all fairly familiar. But the moment you step onto ice, it gets tricky. Uh, And so the lair itself uh, is difficult, and there's two or three twists. One is that it's almost all ice. Um, The other is the tunnels are narrow. Uh... And the other thing to know is that the dragon itself, and we're back into spoiler territory, but too bad, um, you know, is really happy with its friends, the cultists. And it really likes them. And it assumes that if you're sort of human-shaped, the way I was thinking about the dragon's mind, you sort of got a head and two arms and two legs, then you must be a cultist. And so... The way I picture this encounter going, and when I finally get to run it, um, instead of reading playtest reports, it, it's very much going to be, so where's my food? <laughs> and, you know, the player reaction to that can go one of many ways, but the, the likely way is, oh, my food just walked in. <laughs> and the encounter proceeds from there. There's lots of tricks and turns to that final encounter, but I had a blast writing it. The new dragons are terrific. I think your players will have a good time. It's entirely possible, as we were saying earlier, for this to be a, a really career-ending opportunity for players who are not careful. Um, but what we hope is that early dragon encounter has really scared them into caution and that uh, and the adventure at the end of Horde of the Dragon Queen, um, it, they are cautious enough to be successful. Yeah. That's you, I, I, if, did you run the, the the fight against the blue dragon in the first... Did it... My intention in that was that, that at the very least the players would get to see that dragon kill lots of NPCs. It, you know, it was going that way. The dragon did kill several, and then some more like kind of hurried onto the wall, you know, the punch. But unfortunately, uh, not intended was actually your character. No, and you shot. <laughs> A, from hiding, you shot up with a bow at it and crit it. Somebody got a, the critical <laughs> shot. Yeah. And so, and so, right, and that changed its mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. And the one thing, it, I have never been a fan of, of, you know, supposedly heroic characters killing baby dragons. You know? So, um, or at least very little, you know, dragons. You know, I was going to kick out of the. You know the paintings of, of Saint George and the dragon, because the the dragons in those are oh, it's like crocodile size. Yeah, yeah, they're about the size of a big dog. You know, <laughs> and uh, I've never thought that was especially heroic. So, so we tried to avoid that kind of thing. Right? We managed that by making the dragons enormously huge, <laughs> and the heroes are about dog size. Yeah. Yes. But you're right. The, uh, the fifth edition dragons, um, especially with all their the legendary actions and the lair powers and things, going after a dragon in its lair is a, a really frightening <laughs> proposition. Again, so it is. Just one thing to add to that. Sorry, is that actually when the players like. Someone mentioned to them that they should maybe go up there and assist if they can, and they were kind of like, 
on the edge. Like, why would I want to do that? <laughs> That's a good time to That's have a the, good the dragon swoop low and some some NPCs, you know, electrocuted NPCs tumbling off the walls, yeah, no, yeah, screaming and like, like, oh, yeah, sure, there's a. We are out of time, folks. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please consider using our Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links found on the show notes at thetomeshow.com. Thanks again, and keep gaming.